Welcome to Infectious Enthusiasm, a podcast where we talk excitedly about Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I'm Brian. And I'm Quinn. And this episode, we are going to talk about weapons. The reason we're talking about that is because most role-playing games are about conflict of some sort. And most of those involve actual physical conflict, like fighting with each other, which means that weapons are going to be involved in some manner. And what we want to talk about this time is obviously how Pathfinder 2nd Edition handles weapons, but also we'd like to compare that to how other games handle weapons and what that means for the feel of each of those games. And Quinn, I am going to ask you to start us off with some Pathfinder 2nd Edition lore. Cool. Well, so like to Brian's point here, there's, you know, we have this form of conflict in combat and weapons and and really what a game how a game treats weapons is a very strong signal to how it feels about combat as a uh, source of conflict right if co- weapons are very sort of generalized and vague or a non-factor really the game is saying that generally combat is not maybe a theme that we are focused on and maybe we care about some other form of conflicts more, and that's fine. But when a game is saying, hey, here's a lot of differentiation and points of detail on on weaponry, we're saying, hey, we care about combat. And as uh, an action RPG with a basically a built-in combat simulator, Pathfinder cares about combat quite a bit, right? And one of the best ways that they show this is through the differentiation of their weapons, that their weapons have lots of, they, they, they do different points of damage, but they also have different types of damage that they deal in terms of, say, slashing, bludgeoning, or piercing, which is, I will say, important because a lot of enemies in Pathfinder key off those different types there there there's a, there are a lot of interactions between those types of basic types of d- damage but then each weapon has its own set of traits mm-hmm. and they belong to a group which gives in each group of weapons has their own critical specialization like an ability that when you're skilled enough with it that you'll get every time you critical with it and so there's like a lot of fine points of detail on the weapons that are are really like a big feature of the game that only really are a modest add of complexity. This is one of those things where I feel I feel something that people do a lot with Pathfinder is like, oh my God, there's so much stuff. How could you ever learn it all? But realistically, you don't need to know it all. You just need to know what's appropriate for your weapon, right? Or what traits are for your weapon. There are a lot of traits for weapons. Yeah. Uh, you only care about the one for the weapon you're using, really. And you don't have to care about the other ones. So that it's sort of contained in that. But uh, I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that, Brian? Well, first off, what you just uh, described has been my experience with Pathfinder 2nd, is that, yeah, the uh, when you're making your character, of course, either you choose proficiency with a certain type of weapon or sometimes it comes with one of the other things you choose. And that w- has helped me focus on certain things. For example, uh, I made a rogue actually in a game that you ran and 
one of the types of weapons he was proficient in had a reach, and I hadn't really played a character with a reach weapon before. And it was, first off, so much fun, <laughs> because I could do so many cool things with it. First off, you know, it just gave me extra range. But on top of that, you know, I could like, you know, I could chip people, I could do all the cool stuff. And it changed the way that I played that character, not just during combat. It gave me some ideas of what kind of person this was. So that was cool. And again, to your point, yeah, I didn't have to learn the rest of the stuff. I just had to make sure that all of the stuff for my reach weapon was on my sheet. And it's not that much stuff. It was, you know, it was a handful of things. And I just had to remember to to consult those whenever I was in combat. So I, it was just part of the list of things I could do. So yeah, I thought that that was great. It was, and because of the way the combat runs in Pathfinder Second, it also, because of the action economy and because of things tend to run pretty smoothly and quickly, uh, I never felt like uh, I didn't get like analysis paralysis. I, I I didn't feel like I had too many choices, which was also kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like the weapon, the weapon traits are sort of they're they're pretty instructive on what you're supposed to be doing with the weapon and like how you're supposed to be playing around them. Right. You know, when you have a weapon, you're trying to sort of stay a couple of squares away and drop them. And then, and then, you know, it's very interesting because then if you add some other weapon traits to a, to a weapon, you start like unlocking different other styles of play. The, uh, in, in one of my games where we were running the Abomination Vaults, uh, our, we had a monk who was using Kasari Gama. Oh, and nice. Kasari Gama is also a reach weapon, uh, but it has the additional trait of trip. Excellent. And so then he is trying to stay a distance away from a person. And then he can, with reach, he can trip, he can also activate the trip combat maneuver. Normally you have to have a hand free and to be able to sort of like trip them and push them over. But because a weapon has a trait, you can just do it whilst holding the weapon at its reach. So you can be a couple squares away from the person. You can make the trip attempt. And then if you trip, you, you can trip them. And then he had an ability that let him hit a person every time they tried to make them. Oh, if they tried to make a move, within him so it was like a mini attack of opportunity and nice so basically he could trip them and then if they tried to get up which is a move he could attack them excellent before they could even you know and they'd have to get up and then move within they'd have to waste an action just to get near him and that was pretty potent and and it's just like basically the addition of one trait that lets him do these like like a whole slew of interesting things my experience with uh, pathfinder 2 has been uh really good as far as that because what it does to me it makes the tactical side of the game a lot more fun because Plenty of games out there are tactical. Plenty of them are on a grid or on a hex map or something along those lines. And there are lots of games that that really benefit from having that. But even though they benefit from having the grid, they are not necess- they don't necessarily, in my opinion, like use the full potential of it. 
And I feel like Pathfinder 2nd Edition is getting a lot closer to using that potential, just from what you said. Like when, you know, when you're fighting with a reach weapon, you're trying to stay a couple of squares away. That gives you a goal every single turn, is to be a certain distance away from your potential opponents. And also, you know, you want to stay close enough to be able to do those other, like, uh, those response attacks, like mm-hmm. you were saying with the monk. So it it kind of gives you a focus. And it, I, I like having... I like having something to do, and your choice of weapon does have a big impact on mm. what you do during the tactical portions of the game. Right. Yeah, and it ended up being this. You know, one, one thing I wanted to add, actually, too, is it's, it's interesting. There are all these implicit things that end up happening with the weapon traits, like using the Kasari Gamma uh, again. There, there were so many different interactions and like interesting interactions that happened with it. Uh, like one was they'd be fighting an enemy that was flying high up above. And so the monk has like, you know, a great like jump height and stuff. And at one point he got like wall run. And so there was actually during one fight, this monster's fighting, flying high up, shooting stuff down at them. He wall runs, jumps. And because he has reach, he doesn't have to hit the whole distance between them. He just needs to get close enough. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And and then when you use trip, the, the rules of trip is if you trip in a flying opponent, they come crashing down. Nice. First. And so he could like run up, use their reach from the thing, and then basically lasso this thing by the feet and like <laughs> yank it down to earth, you know, which is like super cinematic and cool. And- Absolutely. And completely in the rules and just in thing that implicitly can do. And it was just like a very fun part of the games where people like once people got comfortable with how the weapon let them was an extension of their character, really. And, and, yeah. and, and I think that's that 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 for me is why I wanted to even talk about this is that the way that they build weapons, it ends up being this other form of character expression yeah and that's really cool in a way that you don't often get well uh if you don't mind before we start talking about other games i've got one other example yeah uh i uh as you know a i really enjoy making characters for pathfinder um and and path builder makes it really easy uh mm-hmm. obligatory path builder plug but um once i found out all the cool stuff you could do with shields no shields. I made a barbarian with like, and I just piled on every single shield option I could, and like I haven't played him yet, but man, I want to. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I'm putting it out there. Next next time, next time you run Pathfinder, I think I'm bringing in my my, my barbarian with all the shield stuff. And oh, that, he, by the way, he's only first level, and he's already got like a bunch of different things he can do with shields. So mm-hmm. that is another thing that I really like about this system is that right at first level, you can do a bunch of really cool, really fun stuff. And the the weapon rules really help with that. They mm-hmm. help with the flavor. They give you a bunch of options that other characters don't have, and you can do them immediately. You don't. You're not waiting. You're not waiting until your third level before you can do the cool stuff. And I that's that's hands down one of my favorite things about this. Yeah, yeah. The texture of the texture of shields in the play, like I, I love how they feel in game. So, a quick primer for anyone who is 
new to the game or, or looking to get into the game is that so so we've got the three action economies you, you, you spend an action to take things to to do stuff each turn and for shields to get the shield bonus you have to spend an action to raise a shield and once you raise a shield you get the shield's bonus to your armor class until the start of your next turn if you also if you have a shield raised and if you're trained in it um it's a general feat you can get but some classes start with it innately there's a shield block action that you can do as a reaction so if someone hits you and you think oh man i'm about to get plaster or they just crit me um i'm about to get plastered you go i'm going to use my reaction to shield block and when you shield block you can then um basically take the some of the shield's hardness away from the blow and then you and the shield both take that damage the remaining damage and it's just like a really cool, flavorful thing that simulates pretty powerfully how shields work because because your shield can then break yeah. um, when it's taking the damage. Um, and it's it's really cool. And then and then there's a bunch of other different abilities and stuff for shields on top of it. And so shields feel, for lack of a better term, shieldy. <laughs> they do. And, yeah, that was that was what got me so excited about this barbarian. Is just like I kept seeing cool shield stuff. And by the way, the ability to look forward into future feats and future options is also helpful. So, you know, I said you're not waiting to be able to do the cool stuff, but it is nice to look forward and see what cool stuff is available to you later. And even that informs the way that I play the character, because uh, I'm thinking about, you know, in, in a couple of levels, you know, this thing's coming up and I'm already planning on getting it. Unlike some other games, I'm not required to get it but it is nice that you know like every single level option does make me excited about you know about leveling up too because leveling mm-hmm. up should be fun leveling up should be a fun thing there should be sparklies and and a whole bunch of like and maybe maybe like a little trumpet plays or something you know you should you should feel great every time you level up because it's fun and Sometimes, you know, you level up in a game and it's just not that much fun. <laughs> you know, you're like, you're like, right. well, I, I got a few more hit points and that's about it. But and Pathfinder's not the only game that does this, of course. But it it is nice to see that the designers do appear to have focused on that. They, right. they, they want every aspect of it to be fun. And the changes that I'm seeing coming up and remastered to me seem to be like focusing even more on that. It, it, it appears to be their design goal. And that is the best thing ever because it's a game. It's supposed to be fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, you should get that little dopamine hit when you, you know, when you level up. That's, that's, that's what it's for. It, in my opinion, it should feel, you know, like if you're playing a video game and you level up, right? It's great. It should be the same thing in a tabletop game. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like one thing before, one more thing I want to just, one more sort of, in-game comparison I want to do before we can bring in the other games here because I, I just want to show like uh, again just how much of a difference like an individual like weapon choice will make when the character like imagine you are I have made a first level fighter and you have made a first level fighter and we've both given them the f- feat of say power attack Right, which lets you spend two actions to do extra damage on an attack. Right, so we've made things that we've made characters that are, you know, other abilities and stuff. Notwithstanding what we would say, 
are mechanically very similar right. and probably infringing on each other. But you have chosen a, uh, for your two-handed weapon of choice, power attack works better with two-handed weapons. You have picked great pick. And because it's a great pick, of course. Yeah. And <laughs> I have chosen a great axe, right? Sure. So, so for you with your great pick, the great pick does 1d10 piercing. Right? So as a 1d10 piercing, there are certain monsters like a skeleton that it's going to suffer against because like those monsters will have like resistance to piercing and will just take less damage from it. So, so that's a choice and that, that, that is that they make this part of a lot of monster design makes it actually a significant choice. And you, and you do one D 10 damage was pretty good, but then you have fatal. Fatal D12. And what fatal means is like basically it's a weapon that is kind of when you critically hit with it, um, it does extra damage. It turns your D10 into D12 and then gives you an extra weapon damage die. Yeah. If you crit, you're going to do 2D12. Nice. Yeah. With that weapon. And uh, great picks are, they are, when you don't crit, they are okay. They are pretty okay for a two-handed weapon, but they are explosive when you do crit. And one thing I want to point out about the crits is critting is different in Pathfinder Two E than it is uh, in, uh, like, say, D and D games. Uh, you've got uh, you have more chances to crit because right. uh, you. Am I remembering right? You 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 just have to beat the target by ten. Yeah, you can you can do it on a twenty, or or if you get ten higher. Yeah. Yeah, 10 higher than your target, which means yeah. you're likely to crit more often. And but still not like not every shot, but it's great. You know, I, I like I like that you have a, a, a slightly greater chance to do it because that leads into those hell yeah moments that you know when you roll it and suddenly you're doing two D twelve. Right. Those are those then, your fist moments. Those are great. <laughs> right. And then and then and then when because it's because it's a pick, your weapon specialization crit, whenever you crit you'll do extra damage just because it's a pick because it's like a little point stabbing in somebody. Right. Right. So, so, so picks can be really, they, they are, when when you're critting, they're horrifying. So I have a great ax. And so the great ax, it just does 1d12 slashing. The slashing will be relevant to some monsters. Some monsters will be resistant to that. Some monsters will be weak to it. But then the axe's weapon trait, so so I'm doing more damage generally. And then I have a thing, my trait is sweep, which let, makes, makes it so it's easier to hit multiple enemies. So if I've already attacked a different target, um, like so, so, so on my second attack, if I go to hit another target with a second attack, I get a plus one to my attack roll. So I'm taking less of an attack penalty to hit more people. So great axe is great in a crowd. Yeah. Like I can get more people. So if I'm fighting off a bunch of minions, I can start swinging this thing around and that's awesome. And then because it's an axe, if I crit, then I can potentially hit somebody 
like hit an adjacent person and do damage to them. That's excellent. Yeah. When I hit you. So, so it's, it's great in, in a crowd, but it's not as, ex- it, it does more damage generally, but when I crit, I don't get an extra D12. I just do uh, D12 doubles where the fatal will do like a little bit, quite a bit extra. Yeah. Um, I'm not as explosive, but I am better when I'm fighting more people. So even though we've made otherwise identical fighters, because we've picked two different weapons, we actually are encouraged to do different things. I like that a lot. So I, I just wanted to like sort of bring that like specific point up. Yeah. Um, but like, let's what 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 other game should we talk about? Uh, do you want me to go first? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I don't want to be the guy that recommends uh, Powered by the Apocalypse for everything, but I I'm going to do it again. Uh, I you know uh, well because I do like the way I'm going to talk about Apocalypse World specifically. But the way Apocalypse World does it has spread out into other PBTA games. Mm-hmm. And because I do like the way they handle weapons. It is radically different from the way Pathfinder 2 handles weapons, by the way. What it does is it assigns tags to them. Not just weapons, by the way. It assigns tags to basically everything. Like any object that you can have can have a tag on it. And a tag is literally just a descriptor. Some of the weapon tags are things like relate to range. Like if it's hand, that means it's literally just a hand-to-hand weapon. Or if it's far, it could be like a rifle that shoots pretty far away. Some of them are things like loud or messy or auto fire. And each of those has a description with the mechanical effects of the tag in the rule book. And some of them come with pros and cons. You can already imagine what the pros and cons of loud are. Like, you know, if in a certain situation, having a loud weapon, like a shotgun or something like that, could could intimidate people, but sometimes you don't want to make a lot of noise. So I like that idea. I like it that yeah, one I tag. Think, I don't think that's so different from Pathfinder. I, I feel like that that actually tags up to the weapon traits. It's just the emphasis of fiction instead of sure. the physics. Underst- yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. And in this case, though, like it abstracts the weapons. You're not really choosing, you know, great axe versus pike necessarily. I mean, you will call it a great axe or a pike or a shotgun or a pistol, but what really matters is the tags that are on it. And of course, you know, you want the tags to fit the fiction, but I mean, I take your point. It is, it is a different path to a really similar way of doing things. For example, you could have, well, actually in Apocalypse World, you aren't going to have two people with the same playbook, Um, but you could have two people that are still kind of similar to each other, two really combat oriented characters. And if you have that, if each of them is fighting with a different weapon, for example, if one of them is fighting almost exclusively with like swords or knives, and then you've got the other one that is just, you know, like has a whole bunch of guns, obviously those are different. And then the way, the thing that I like most about it though, is that each tag does have specific mechanical effects. It's not just, it's not just a word, you know, there is a paragraph in the book that tells you what it means when you have a loud weapon or or anything along those lines. So and I, I like the idea that it applies to other things as well, which means that like if you have a thing that is not necessarily a weapon, if it's got certain tags, you can extrapolate from that if you wanted to improvise that as a weapon and still use some of the tags that are on it to decide what that means, like you said, what that means in the fiction. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and it lets you. Uh, again, it's, it's that. It's if things are going to feel different because you've got these different like tags and traits. So it's not you, you can always. Sort of. Skin weapons, however you want. Oh, yeah, um, I guess. But but when a game is giving you specific ways to say, like, this is different from from this. It, it's a great way to let you express and and, and, get, and have good sort of guardrails and uh, direction for how you want to play. Exactly. Like, yeah, if you are a stealthy character, you're going to avoid anything with a loud tag. Uh, right. And is how that works for me. I like that a lot. And like you said, you you can skin it any way you want. You can be super specific. You can like, if, if you're the kind of person that has a lot of gun stats in your head, you can, you can tell me as the game master, exactly what your gun is. You, you know, you can, you can give it all the cool names that you want, but what it comes down to is the tags that are on it. But I I like it that it allows for that. It allows you to say, I've got an AK four seven or a Browning automatic or, you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, you just, the, the book has some suggestions about specific types of weapons and the tags that go with them. But what's cool about this is you can pretty much decide, like, especially if you're customizing your weapon, which some playbooks let you do, but you can choose your own tags for it, which is a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. So I, I'll, I'll go with the next one. 4E, D&D. Uh-huh. Edition D&D. One of my uh, favorites. And, you know, and I know we said in, in the first episode that, you know, we're not talking about 5e, but uh, other editions of D&D are on the table. And 4th Ed is a, a favorite of, of both Brian and I. And what I like about 4e's take on weapons was that weapons, you know, they did different damage and stuff. They might have a couple of extra abilities here and there, but, but generally what the the take of the game was is that different weapons al- enabled you to use different abilities. So like you, 4E was very ability based. Yeah. And you had different powers that you could pick for your character. But then for a melee, ba- for, for martial characters, a lot of what you did was pick stuff based on weapons. So if you were picking some bludgeoning weapon, a lot of times what that would do is it would have a couple weapon traits, but then if you were using a club or a mace, it would uh, allow you to use a power powers that let you stun people. Right. Um, you could also take feats that would give you special abilities whenever you used a certain weapon type. So the, the weapons were more holders for... They they were they expressed your character by what they let you pick for powers, right? If you didn't, if you weren't holding your, you know, club or mace or something, then you couldn't use your stun power. So you wanted to have that. I think that is an interesting kind of inverse thing. Like the the traits are sort of mostly hanging on your character. Yeah, yeah, I appreciated that too. I liked the way that. Each character was built in a similar way. So you've got your at-will powers and you've got your once-a-days and you know and all of this stuff. And the martial characters got those too. 
And I thought that was really great because it uh, it was it was a more cinematic approach, which actually I tend to lean towards myself anyway. Okay, so you know that that whole description you gave earlier with the monk doing the wall run, I like I like any game that allows you to describe things that you can instantly see the scene in your head, and mm-hmm. that is one of the things I liked about 4E is that some of the abilities that you could not use at will were the sorts of things that were kind of the big finish, or at least something that, like, if if you were reading a novel or seeing a movie, uh, it's the kind of thing that isn't going to happen all the time. You kind of save it for special things. And that was one of the things I liked about that. There were a lot of the martial characters, especially, had some moves that were really fun and really cool. But yeah, there was a little bit of uh, resource management where where you had to figure out like when to use those and how to make the most effective. Uh, and again, we're back to making the tactical side of it fun. I thought 4E did a great job of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, what wh- what's your next pick? My next one is Cyberpunk 2020. Yeah. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> because uh, it's kind of amazing that it took me two episodes to bring up Cyberpunk 2020 because it is. Slow down. I know it is hands down one of my favorite games ever and one of the reasons it's my favorite games is it's a good I mean, first off i like the setting i mean i i I've been, i played it back when it was cyberpunk 2013 even but the although 2020 is not radically different from 2013 but i'm bringing up cyberpunk 2020 because it it went all in on the weapons even even yeah. cyberpunk 2013 did it too and the reason they did that is because they were using the friday night firefight combat system which was brutal <laughs> it was, you did not, it was a difficult, you had to really, really be careful in fights on that. And 2020 carried that on. The, the, you were not, you were not bulletproof, even if you had a lot of armor. But Cyberpunk 2020 did a thing where they had an extensive list of weapons. Mm-hmm. And like, they broke it down into individual rifle types, like like individual brands of rifle. And even within the brands of rifle, they mm-hmm. had like, modifications on those which might be a little excessive but in a game like cyberpunk 2020 i disagree i think that it's a game about certain characters especially are going to be about specific weapons these are going to be like some of them are going to be gun nuts they are going to be the kind that that are extremely interested in exactly what kind of rifle they're using and like the the weapons chart is amazing it lists things you would expect like range and rate of fire and number of shots that before you have to reload but it also has things like concealment how how difficult it is to like buy the gun like to find someone that'll sell it and then oh by the way also damage <laughs> you know but it was just a long thing and you if you were playing it rules as written you had to take all this stuff into account and i got to say they affected how i played played my characters during combat because you know, I had to keep track of, you know, how many shots were left in my magazine and stuff like that. And so to an extent, it kind of does it in a, you could call these, you know, weapon traits, for example, you know, you could call rate of fire or range a weapon trait. But the thing that I think those tables did was it, it made you consider what you were using. And I thought that was kind of cool, especially I thought it fit the game nicely. And so I know you played it too. What was your experience with? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so it it was interesting. I remember the first time we played Cyberpunk 2020, we were going from like D&D, like I was introducing my friends the game from D&D 
uh, second edition at the time, and it was a complete total party kill, right? Because yeah. they were just like they were used to just, like, hey, we're just going to walk in the room. You know, this guy talks to me wrong. I'm going to cut him down. And you're like, oh, this is not that type of game. Yeah, it's not right. You know, and but but af- after a couple of TPKs, and I just sort of let it happen. Because it was sort of like we we need to experience, or right? I, I was a little surprised myself. Um, but then you get kind of get into the flow of like, oh, covers a thing, right? You know, accuracy's a thing. Like, okay, like how do how are we covering the thing? And, and it and it the lethality of the rules plus the characteristics of the weapons, then like the, the, they sort of reinforced each other, right? Right. So. Okay, well, if I've got this, like you know, like I've got this gun that I can't, I can't conceal, right? So then it ties into this role playing theme of like, well, I can't conceal this heavy machine gun, right? And we're getting ready to go into a nightclub, so I can't carry this in here, but like I can use this gun here that I can conceal under you know my coat or pocket, even though it's not as powerful. Like you, it, it because of the constraints of the game yeah like all these other sort of side things come into play there weren't traits but there were characteristics that right. the game sort of cho- like forced you to consider and work on so exactly or maybe it's ceramic and it won't show up on a metal detector so mm-hmm. it's not going to do as much damage but you can get it into the building right yeah and that was one of the things I liked about that. I want to give a quick shout out to Twilight 2000, which had a similar weapons list. And it, it was a little more abstracted once you got into the combat. But Twilight 2000, for those of you that, that are not familiar with it, is about mm-hmm. playing in the aftermath of World War III. And so you're, the default is that you're playing some sort of military person, but military order has broken down. And now you're just kind of finding your own communities within that. Which means you're playing someone with a familiarity with firearms, which once again means that they had their list looked a lot like the one for Cyberpunk 2020. But what was cool about that is the list of weapons you had to choose from at the beginning was limited by what country your army was from. And I thought that was pretty neat, too. And so but those two games, as far as combat, remind me of each other, although I will say Twilight 2000's combat was less lethal than Cyberpunk mm-hmm. 2020s, which is kind of funny given the, you know, the setting. Mm-hmm. But the, I thought it was, uh, like I said, similar in focus. So, I mean, if you've got a setting in which the characters would know a lot about, or at least certain characters would know a lot about their weapons, I think it makes a lot of sense to have an extensive list like that. And, you know, in other ones, for example, even in Apocalypse World, you can have someone list a specific weapon but that's it like you said it's more story oriented than you have with cyberpunk 2020 and then pathfinder 2e being more tactical that sort of weapons list serves honestly a similar function to what you were talking about you know like you have to take into account cover you also have to take into account like in pathfinder you have to take into account reach or whatever and i or you know if it's a ranged weapon which is usually those are my favorites to use you've got to consider range and how that affects things. So yeah, you know, just what, what's your game about? What do you want to emphasize? Mm-hmm. And you know, if weapons uh-huh. are involved, how does that reflect? Right. And I'll say that, you know, it's, it's interesting because the setting jumps into play here as well. So Pathfinder reflects a very modern sensibility because there aren't 
a lot of right answers. Um, because there, every weapon has a lot of different traits and things it can do. You can have a weapon that does like very little damage, but it come it let, allows you to like trip, shove, right? Push, like do a bunch of combat maneuvers. So it's very versatile in how you can use it. Versus a weapon that does a bunch of damage but like has no traits, so it's just very hit a thing and be done with it. Right. They 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 make sure to not have all really many weapons that are just clearly superior to others in class. Sure. Whereas, say in Cyberpunk, there are more sort of char- it's more characteristic based, and there are in a vacuum clear winners in the weapons absolutely um, there was i can't, i'm trying to remember they had like one uh i can't remember the name of the pistol but it was like this big magnum pistol thing that was like a huge yeah. damage thing it was just a clear winner in in the in the handgun stat but but the context of the game where you know, they're going to be metal detectors. You're going to be going in places where it won't will sort of shift the context of what is actually useful. Like you can't always use the best weapon. And so sometimes you have to find a weapon that is inferior, but like, you know, it's a ceramic weapon. So it gets through metal detectors. Or it's yeah. Right. Um, and then, and then twilight 2000 had this interesting thing where it was kind of, because it was sort of, it, because it was post-apocalyptic, you had to find what you could find but that there were more likely to be just clear, better answers. Like, like once you could find the best weapon, you had the best weapon. Oh yeah. And you just try to make sure you had ammo for the best weapon. Yeah. It was a little more like a video game at that point, because like, yeah, once, once you find the one with the best stats, you stick with that if, if it is at all possible. And then at that point, I think it's up to the game master to make, to make that more interesting. And, you know, there are plenty of ways to do that. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it just like goes to show how like, those game design choices sort of change where the emphasis for adding different texture and making choices is right. Um, Like Pathfinder leaves it strictly to the players basically to see how you want to play, but cyberpunk and twilight 2000 in comparison, leave it as a GM exercise. That's a good point. In there. Yeah, it's it's a matter of yeah, it's a matter of a kind of where you point those resources, which is right. again, like you said, yeah, that's that's always a design decision. Ola, mm-hmm. do you have another game? No, I, I was leaning on because I was going to lean on your on your cyberpunk one. Did I think there's one more you had that you wanted to bring up? Yeah, and this will be pretty brief, but I wanted to find a game in which weapons were just super abstracted, but still focused on combat. And that game is Hong Kong Action Theater First Edition. And I emphasize First Edition because Second Edition was a, a completely different system. Um, so Hong Kong Action Theater, it's its way out of print. So it's entirely possible that those of you listening to this may not have even heard of the game. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you what it is real quick. As the, the as the game let's start over right then. Sorry about that. As the title implies, it is in fact a game about playing Hong Kong action movies. Now, what you do in first edition is you make one character that is basically your actor, and then that character plays different roles in different movies, which means you could have the same character play in, say, a period martial arts piece or like something involving a whole bunch of guns like hard-boiled, which is one of my favorite parts of the game. And you have stats that show how good your character is at 
firearms or melee weapons or things along those lines. But the actual weapons list is extremely short. It lists just like a few types of pistols, a few types of rifles, and the same thing with, with the melee weapons. You know, you've got like sword, spear, nunchucks, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but the thing that I like about that is because the game is cinematic, literally, rather than tactical, because you know, at no point are you using a grid, you're not using a map, you're not, or more to the point, you're not using a map for combat. So the kind of weapon you're using matters less than how good you are at using it. And that fits perfectly with that system because it is cinematic. You're not looking for realism or even necessarily verisimilitude. You're looking for something that makes sense in the context of a movie. And that's a whole other genre Mm -hmm. than what we're talking about with literally any other game we've brought up here. And so I I wanted to bring that up because, you know, they do have a weapons section, but it's very small because they don't have to be too specific about it. And I was trying to come up, I know other games have done similar things in the past. This is the just kind of the sort of most crystallized example of doing it extremely cinematically that I that I could come up with. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, that's an interesting take. So it's just sort of like it's like a very narrow fiction for like 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 not just fiction forward but a certain type of fiction absolutely yeah that is exactly right because with a few exceptions like especially if you're watching say hard-boiled i don't know what kind of gun chayun fat's character had yeah who cares i mean yeah i mean the gun people out there probably know but i don't know i just know he had well he had gun it was guns let's you know he was two guns but that's kind of the whole point. So you've got like different things you can do, uh, similar in some ways to the way that Feng Shui handled it, where you've got like sword sticks and gun sticks and things like that. So the things that you could do with them mattered a lot more than what the actual objects were. But in order to do certain things, you had to have a certain weapon in order to accomplish it. And mm-hmm. Hong Kong Action Theater did did it the same way. And that's one of the things that I like. Uh, and again, you know, uh, you are, uh, especially if you're doing like a period piece, you could easily have exactly that same scene that you described with the monk and the flying creature and the running on the wall. It would just be accomplished in a different way. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, uh, different paths to the same thing. It all depends on, it all depends on your focus. Nice. Well, I think we've gotten like, you know, uh, it's interesting. You would not think that a weapon <laughs> discussion could get this in depth, but like, here we are. Yeah, here we mm-hmm. are. Although they didn't count on us. I mean, you know, we could, we could talk about anything for, you know, an hour. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I totally agree. And for example, when you brought it up, I, I at first thought I was going to have trouble coming up with stuff to talk about. And that was obviously not the case. <laughs> no, it's. It, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of. It's a. It's a thing I don't feel like gets talked about a lot in RPGs, but I think it's a. It's a relevant theme, and, and then I, I yeah. think Pathfinder does it so well that I think it's a good jumping part off to talk about it and other games in context. Yeah, uh, totally agree, and I, I like it. I like that focus because, as we've already discussed, some games really focus on on weapons and individual weapons, and others do it in a much more broad sense and it's interesting to see how that affects both when you both running the game and uh also playing the game and for that matter it affects the sort of adventures you're likely to have 
Right. So that's cool right. too. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think we'll stop it there. Yep. We'll, we'll, we'll love to hear from other people's thoughts on, you know, what, what kind of weapon systems in games do you enjoy? You know, let us know. And we'll be back for another episode where we'll talk about some other aspects of Pathfinder. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks.